Good afternoon and welcome to the Freedom to Buy podcast, presented each week by Supernet. I'm Joe Dworsky, the president of retail banking for Supernet. And each week, our podcast will take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate both businesses and listeners like yourself on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guest is the CEO of one of the fastest growing MSOs, online marketplaces, and technology platforms providing legal access to cannabis through safe and convenient delivery. Corey has helped oversee the company's expansion from a single state operator in California to a four-state vertically integrated delivery and retail operator with 67 locations and growing. Please welcome to today's show, the CEO of Ease, Corey Azzolino. Corey, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, great. You know, great to have you on the show today, Corey. Uh, I appreciate your time and congrats on uh, the continued success at Ease. In addition to the current press release last month with Green Dragon's dispensaries opening up in the Florida market. Uh, but before we jump into learning more about Ease, I'd like to take a step back to share with our listeners about your early days uh, from accounting at Deloitte and how that led to your current role as CEO of Ease. As you mentioned, I started my career as a CPA at Deloitte before going into the buy side of investing for Prudential Capital. And that was prior to starting an entrepreneurial journey more than a decade ago. So after I kind of left the traditional world of finance, I started my own technology company. And then after exiting that in mid-2017, decided to hop into the cannabis industry, joined a fast-growing California house of brands uh, that ultimately we took public. After you know, kind of riding the cannabis roller coaster, That I actually became CEO of that company and sold it to Ease, uh, which is when my journey with Ease began back in 2020. Oh, interesting. Did your prior life with technology have an, an overlay to the technology company with ease and the, you know how you came into this industry? Was there an overlay or was it something totally new? No, there was, there was definitely uh, an overlay. Both of the, the training of, of kind of running a, a product engineering organization in my last company uh, parlayed quite well into running ease. When I joined in 2020, ease was, a very, was at a very pivotal moment for the company. The board had decided to pivot from a pure play technology marketplace. So we started back in 2014, just connecting cannabis consumers with licensed retailers. But in January of 2020, the company decided to actually own the both delivery locations and in the future retail locations uh, and operate them. And so it went from you know purely a technology company based in Silicon Valley to where we sit now, which is operating retail dispensaries in four states. You know, with more than 1,400 employees, and we've got uh, employees in five countries at this point. Wow, wow. So I guess that's where Green Dragon comes into play. Green Green Dragon is your your retail owner of the company, if you will? Yeah, we basically have two business lines. Holistically, we're a, a cannabis retailer, but we both do delivery, which is primarily in California and soon to be uh, in our other markets. Uh, and then we also have a retail business uh, where we've got 17 locations uh, retail only in Colorado, uh, and we've just uh, got our approval for our 37th store uh, in Florida, which we will open in the coming week. And then in California and Michigan, we are we have 14 locations, and we do just cannabis delivery for the most part. 
Okay. So it is, so the delivery is in California, in Colorado right now? Uh, California and Michigan. And Michigan. Delivery. And we expect to do delivery in Colorado and Florida in the coming months and years. Okay. So integrating the two the two pieces of the puzzle, if you will. I mean, obviously with the, the ease with the technology platform for delivery, obviously will, I would imagine, go a long way in expanding the business and the reach. This is like the, can, I guess you can equate it to like Uber, Uber Eats, if you will. Yeah. The, the, actually, the analog I, I like to draw the most is actually Domino's Pizza, okay. uh, where you've got uh, Domino's, you know, oftentimes is a, a vertically integrated supply chain. So we, uh, in Colorado and Florida, we manufacture our own products. Um, we cultivate our own products uh, and then we sell them through our retail stores. And then the benefit of delivery is that you can then expand from your retail store and deliver up to 45 miles in kind of any direction from that retail store. You get the the benefit of far expanded reach, which, you know, from a pure, purely kind of retail metrics perspective, it means that you can kind of maximize the, the retail sales per square foot of any location. Mm-hmm. So you're basically plant touching also. Yes, we are. So back in 2020, we decided to go plant touching the board, basically looked at our business model. We were really successful in uh, attracting customers to our platform. Ultimately, the business economics uh, did not work well as a pure play marketplace in cannabis. So we decided to actually go plant touching. And through the acquisition of Green Dragon, we were able to take over our own cultivation facilities uh, and uh, operate those in Colorado and Florida. Okay, great. Yeah, for our listeners' uh, sake, if you will, um, can you just explain to our listeners the the corporate structure, if you will, um, with ease and you know Green Dragon underneath, so everybody understands how that plays out and they understand you know, the differences between the two you know entities, if you will. Yeah, Green Dragon is a wholly owned subsidiary of Ease. We really want to keep the brand separate. Ease uh, stands for you know, delivery and, and quick access and, and convenience, and is you know pretty much our e-commerce brand. And then our retail stores and brick and mortar presence is, is via Green Dragon. So because our two retail heavy states are Colorado and Florida, uh, that's where we've led with the Green Dragon brand, uh, and then ultimately we plan to introduce the Ease brand over top. There are a number of companies in California that tried to be everything to everyone where you have a delivery business, you have a retail business, you have a product uh, brand business, all with the same name. And we've, we felt like that led to confusion to consumers. Uh, and so Ease uh, is not a uh, product brand. It is not a, we, we do have two select retail stores in California, but for the most part, our, our plan has always been to keep that as the delivery only, where we have the broadest selection possible uh, and are able to add and get product to consumers' doors as quickly and conveniently as possible. So it's basically, you know, try to be Domino's Pizza or Amazon for cannabis. Okay, great. And where do you see, you know, you got the four states currently that you're operating in. I imagine there's, you know, uh, more on the horizon in terms of expansion. Um, That Green Dragon brand will be the brand and as you continue to grow in, you know, many more states, you're going to continue to grow that Green Dragon brand? Uh, yeah, we will continue to invest uh, in the Green Dragon brand. We don't have plans to expand to more states at this point in time. You know, I think as listeners who are familiar with the cannabis industry are probably aware, cannabis has been in a very challenging uh, uh-huh. thought from a capital raising perspective. And so 
I think focus is really critical. And in order to be profitable, you really have to be scaled in every market you're in. And so we believe largely in uh, Florida becoming one of the single best recreational markets in the US, not only due to population size, but due to regulatory structure as well. Uh, and so we are investing basically every dollar into the Florida market is in, in a market like California, you know, it's very challenging to get new locations. It can be a multi-year process uh, to get a single new location. In Florida, we our 37 stores have really opened over the past two years. Where we are focused our efforts on is actually expanding our cultivation and manufacturing. Um, although we've been uh, very efficient at opening up our stores, our stores are currently kind of undersupplied. Not only is each harvest kind of yielding higher yields every single harvest, but we are now doubling our actual cultivation capacity uh, in Florida. So that that would come on in the fourth quarter so that we can make sure our SKU selection is broad and our products are and stores are, are kind of fully stocked, whereas as of this moment, they are not. Right. So you're, I imagine the growth, it sounds like, is more through acquisition, M&A activity versus applying for licenses, obviously, because I guess many states have you know restrictions on the number of licenses. You're correct. So our growth uh, historically has been um, largely through M&A. A market like Colorado is a good example. We did win some organic licenses in Colorado. Uh, however, a lot of the locations we've, we've added have been through uh, acquisitions. The ability to acquire businesses is very state dependent. To compare California and Colorado, Colorado, you are able to do asset purchases uh, where you can actually transfer the license to a, you know, new entity or new subsidiary. Yeah. Uh, California, you are not allowed to do that. You have to acquire stock or membership interests uh, of a business in order to maintain the license. Um, and so in California, it's actually quite a bit more difficult because you'd be assuming all the liabilities and with cannabis because of the, and, and cannabis in California in particular, to the employment law structure and because of uh, the tax scheme, uh, you're oftentimes taking on substantial liabilities that you may or may not know uh, if you acquire uh, businesses in California. So when we look at acquisitions, we're more focused on a market like Colorado um, for entry to new markets with scaled platforms. So a market like Massachusetts might be interesting to us in the future because Massachusetts not only has retail, but they do allow delivery and they recently changed the laws such that historically you used to have two drivers in a car to do a delivery, uh, which makes a delivery uneconomical. Uh, if you if you think about it, typical basket is about a hundred dollars, and if you have our product margins, you're making about sixty dollars in product margin per transaction. Uh, in California, we were able to deliver with one driver in the car. You know, our average delivery cost would be about seventeen dollars. If in Massachusetts you have to have two drivers in the car, you're already starting at you know call it thirty five dollars or higher. Um, and why? Why the, why the two drivers? What was the the? Um, I I think the original thinking uh, was was twofold. One was safety for the drivers. Um, I would say that we you know do well over a hundred thousand deliveries a month in California, uh, and safety is uh, you know we maybe have one incident out of those hundred thousand deliveries where you know somebody has, has a snatch and grab or something. Um, so it's not really a you know major uh, on a percentage basis. It, it's not a major issue. But I believe the regulators originally thought that it would keep drivers safer. Uh, and then the second reason I think is that in markets like Boston, where you have challenged parking, if you're a you know FedEx or 
UPS driver. Uh, I, th- I believe they have to have two drivers in the car, uh, such that you know you don't basically have to park everywhere. You just have somebody doing the running uh, and somebody doing the driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in cannabis, you, know, you are not stopping at every single house. That <laughs> does not make right. a lot of sense. Uh, you are you know far far less frequently. You're delivering far less frequently, um, and so it just basically makes it so that although well intentioned, the market just never got off the ground for delivery in a market like Massachusetts. But now they've because of that, they've realized that they had to change the rules and and, and, and smartly did that. Uh, Florida, I would say, has two driver the same two driver rule. Really, and our hope would be that in in an adult use market that they would recognize and you know we've uh, offered to provide data to the states that um, the security uh, concerns just really aren't there. Uh, and you know, we've done over uh, 10 million deliveries in California, um, and, and the percentage of uh, security incidences are are quite low. <laughs> that's interesting. So it's two, I, I live in Florida. Uh, that's interesting that uh, it has to be two drivers. I mean, you know, like any delivery here, whether it's you know Uber Eats or whoever, it's always just that one driver. So it, that's interesting. Um, and then from the delivery component, I guess, can you talk a little bit about, is it, is it an ease, you know? labeled vehicle or is it a, just a, like a gig worker uh, you know worker who's delivering like uber i'm just trying to understand the rationale you know from the safety component i understand what you're saying there they feel two drivers safety but if the car is a plain car or a plain van no one's going to really know what they're delivering you're correct. So uh, there's two things that, that we do specifically to protect our drivers. One is that um, you know if you do or, order DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, typically you can see exactly where your driver is on their uh, delivery journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually do not provide that information uh, to customers specifically to protect our drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't ever see and, and track them because um, you know oftentimes our, our delivery drivers do have you know six to ten orders in a car at a time, which still is not a you know a lot of value at a hundred dollar basket size, it's you know, less than a thousand bucks cannabis at any given time, but we still want to make sure that our drivers are safe. So we actually do not allow uh, customers to see exactly where uh, their driver is at a given point in time. Smart. We do not uh, have, actually by law in California, you're not allowed to have any sort of uh, markings on the car signifying that it is you know an ease delivery. So you're not actually allowed to advertise on the cars. And so that that's another kind of protection for the drivers. Uh, and then finally, in California, unlike Uber Eats, you are not allowed to have 1099 drivers. Uh, they must be employed by the license holder because there's oftentimes badging requirements where they have to go into, for example, the city of San Jose, actually get badged by the police department uh, and get background checked by the local municipality as well as the state. We actually have you know W2 drivers. On our payroll, a lot of our drivers are unionized uh, throughout the state of California, and so you know I think we are fairly differentiated from the the Uber Uber Eats models because of that. And it's you know by by law uh, typically written into the local or state code. Interesting. How many uh, how many drivers do you have in in California and and in your other states? We have about eight hundred drivers between full time and part time. Wow. Okay. And where do you guys stand, Ease, in terms of the competition? Who, who do you compete against out there in the marketplace and on the delivery uh, side of the uh, house? Um, in delivery, we are multiple times larger than the next largest delivery competitor in California. So um, I think we're three to four times uh, larger than the next largest competitor. Um, delivery does have a lot of dynamics that create winner take most 
a winner take most market. I would say that, you know, a lot of local dispensaries do offer delivery. And so you can kind of do delivery at very small scale, uh, or you have to do it at a very large scale, uh, because there's such a benefit in terms of delivery costs to having denser routes. As I mentioned, we do, you know, just like pizza delivery, we do a batch order system for the most part, uh, where we uh, have drivers leave our delivery hubs with six to 10 orders at a time. Uh, and so in order for you to have six to 10 orders at a time while still delivering, you know, sub 90 minutes uh, for each driver, uh, it takes not only a lot of uh, technology to be able to facilitate that, uh, but it, it takes order volume and order density to be able to do it profitably. So, uh, you know, you might hear about uh, a lot of the challenges in markets like California and Colorado, um, but we are actually profitable in both California and Colorado. And that's, you know, a testament to our ability to be efficient uh, because we've got you know, buying power. So we get good product margins, but also because we've got the order volume to be able to actually deliver in California efficiently or in uh, Colorado, be able to serve customers efficiently at our retail stores. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's going to lead to my question I have for later in the conversation, but it, it parlays into what you're talking about it's from the delivery side of the business. Payments. So how are the customers that are receiving these deliveries, how are they paying? So payments for delivery is extremely critical and also extremely challenging. With a delivery order, with credit cards, our lives would be much, much, much easier. Yeah, we offer two payment types. Uh, we offer ACH, which is about 25% of our transactions and as a company is our preferred payment methodology because uh, it makes the delivery experience uh, wonderful in that you know you just show up, uh, you, you sign for your product and, and the drivers go on their way. Uh, and then we also provide a effectively reverse ATM solution where our drivers do carry terminals and take payment at the point of sale um, via debit cards. And so that represents about 75% of our transactions uh, between debit uh, and ACH. And then the remaining 25% is cash transactions uh, where we're actually, you know, collecting cash, cash at the point of sale. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of challenges over the years, you know, payment providers. And because we're purely a delivery business, you know, it's even more impactful for our business. When you see payments go down as, you know, there's, you know, been a number of payment issues with uh, pin debit in cash, cashless ATM solutions over the past several years, I would say every six months, mm -hmm. networks change or have issues. You know, we kind of immediately see about a 15% decline in sales uh, because ultimately for a customer, they want to be able to pay and, and really they want to be able to pay online, right? They, they want to be able to use credit card. Uh, and most of our consumers don't understand why we don't offer that uh, despite being in business for almost 10 years. And that's because of the limitations on the processors and, and right. the Card networks, right, and that's and that's what we're trying to solve. If, I'm not sure if you you know are familiar with what we're doing at Supernet, but because of the obstacles that exist with uh, the major card networks as well as the processors, obviously the, the majors are not going to participate uh, in cannabis, uh, any of the card networks or the processors until you know there's federal legislation. So. We look at ourselves as, you know, we're building the full ecosystem, okay? So we're the card network, the SuperNet card, and we're also a processor. So we're controlling the whole ecosystem. We're building the train tracks, 
uh, to run, you know, on those rails and, you know, the, the super net card will be the, uh, the train, if you will, running, and we can let whoever else wants to run on our, our tracks operate. So, well, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, building that out now. So we see the, the void in the market and the need, and, and I hear it every day in my, in my travels and my conversations. Um, so I can understand the challenges that you encounter you know, not having a true credit solution. And this is a true credit solution that will be, you know, available uh, to the marketplace uh, once we uh, go live. So hopefully we can talk to you uh, at that at that point in time. And there's an opportunity maybe to help you guys out. Yeah, I think no matter what, when you see uh, seamless online payments, we, we've had many over the years, you, you know, see, you do see the lift in basket size. Uh, but then, you know, more than anything, it's the, the customer satisfaction of being able to just pay ahead and pay like you would for any other product. And it's a real challenge in cannabis and dealing with, you know, payment terminals in a field when you've got 800 drivers, you know, driving all over the state of California, uh, is a challenge because you, you know, have issue with cellular re receptivity and, um, you know, you're having to, uh, troubleshoot on the fly at people's houses when they just want to sign for their product and, and, but can't, and, and when, when they, but when they order, would, don't they order like when you order Uber Eats? You know, you pay. You know, you you, you select everything. It goes in the cart, and you know your credit card is obviously in the Uber app or the DoorDash app, and then you purchase, and it's paid for, and then they just drop it at your door. Yours doesn't operate that way, you know, with your that is debit. That's how, that's how ECH operates. Yes, okay. you know, you're you're paying in advance. Uh, now we still have to check IDs at the door given it's a regulated product. So we, we still have to um, check ID and, and have people sign for it. Uh, however, when we uh, when the customers are, are choosing debit cards, it's a debit card present you know, with our driver. So we are actually not taking payment in advance because of that. You know, We also can't charge fees to customers who, who no-show. So oftentimes we have to pay for the cost of delivery uh, while the, the customer may not actually be there if they ordered you know, 60 minutes prior, or sometimes our deliveries are so fast that, you know, they, they were expecting us to be there in 60 minutes and we were there in 20 minutes. Right. Uh, and so because we, you know, we, we actually cannot charge in advance, it, it creates other logistical challenges for us. Gotcha. So a true credit solution would help, you know, those, those logistical challenges, you know, okay. if it's a credit card. Okay. Yeah. And then it makes sense. Well, let's talk a little bit about the headlines in the cannabis industry with rescheduling 280E and safe banking and your thoughts on how this will impact uh, the company, whether good or bad, I would imagine good, and uh, the obstacles that you see achieving these changes uh, for the industry. So I'll start with schedule three in the rescheduling. I think there's been a lot of uh, recent headlines. You know, Back in August, it was reported that uh, the HHS recommended the move from schedule one to schedule three. Uh, recent days, the full 252 page report was released. Uh, that did in fact confirm what was previously reported, but this was the first kind of official record of of the recommendation to move to Schedule Three. So that will be massively impactful. I think uh, finance geek hat back on just the ability to you know not have to pay the the two eighty taxes and, and dramatically lowering the effective tax rate massively improves the cash flow profile, which will allow businesses in this industry to not only raise more capital, hopefully you know, either raise equity to pay down debt or uh, simply cash flow the debt uh, that will free up a lot of, of capital to be reinvested uh, in the businesses. I, I think there's some fear from the investor community that, hey, as soon as it happens, you know, with a snap of fingers, all of that value is going to be 
uh, provided back to consumers. I think that will really be the case. I think most mm-hmm. of the most of the operators have you know, been kind of accruing taxes, so I, I don't think that those will just automatically get passed on to, to customers. It's it's not like an excise tax. And so I think that the rescheduling to Schedule Three will be a massive boon to the overall cash flow and ability to invest in everything from our people uh, to you know capex projects, uh, as well as just uh, re. Um, be able to restructure balance sheets that you know have been challenged or stretched uh, based mm-hmm. on the inability to to cash flow. Uh, so I think that will be probably the single biggest uh, change, and it should also change investor sentiment um, by you know hopefully improving multiples and uh, seeing some return uh, in equity value. Uh, so that's the single biggest change. I, I would say safe banking, you know, is probably you know second to that. The things that we've talked about like payment processing would be the most impactful piece for our business. Uh, there's also just the general kind of cannabis tax that you know, any sort of service provider to the industry is able to charge. So, uh, you know, if more uh, services like insurance were able to be normalized, uh, there'd be a, once again, a, a meaningful uh, savings for all of the larger operators and both big and small in the industry. So certainly one we're watching, I wouldn't say that we're overly hopeful. I think it's more likely that with Schedule Three, there's you know a, a relooking at you know FinCEN guidance and you know potentially some changes to the rules to to allow you know payment providers uh, to change their position and hopefully allow for things like credit card uh, payments. Right. Okay, makes sense. And with those changes, I mean, it kind of leads into my next thought. Obviously, if those changes play out as you you know discussed. I would imagine, given the the landscape that we've seen in banking over the last year with the failure of Silicon Valley and Signature Bank and First Republic, and just the obstacles of cannabis banking and the challenging environment it's been to raise capital, I would imagine all that noise um, and how it's impacted uh, the cannabis industry, I guess, will be lifted to a degree. Is that fair? You, you would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it'll at least. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's still a lot of challenges when when you look at individual companies. So I think there's you know a lot of puts and takes, but for the industry writ large, it will definitely be a tailwind. Right. What's but what's been more specifically to your company with cannabis banking? It's always been a challenge with any cannabis related business. Even though there are a lot of banks that you know have cannabis banking programs, what's been the biggest challenge uh, that you've encountered at ease? In terms of uh, you know having a banking relationship and 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 you know access to capital, we've um, we've had a very good uh, banking relationship for many years. So in terms of the actual kind of like treasury management or cash, uh, I think we've been more insulated. Our single biggest pain point, and it, it's it's so much more exaggerated on delivery, is is payments, and so that truly is our biggest pain point because every six months there's a crisis and every six months we have to go, you know, ACH only. Um, and it just continuously negatively impacts our customers, negatively impacts the business. It's very different than a retail environment where, you know, most companies are are much more exposed to retail. Uh, in a retail environment, you would, you could always politely refer people to the ATM that's just sitting there in the physical store and basket sizes might decrease a little bit, which, which is definitely true as people spend hard cash. However, in delivery, you're already dealing with much larger basket sizes. Your basket sizes get cut. Uh, your conversion rates get cut as you don't have you know the preferred payment methodology for customers. So that I can't reiterate enough that that's the the single biggest difference 
uh, in a delivery versus retail environment and what would be uh, such a big lift to, to delivery companies would be able to just take normal payments. In terms of the delivery, um, obviously California being your biggest market, you're looking to expand. What is that? What is that roadmap in terms of the other markets that you're operating in to get delivery? You know, on the calendar. Yeah, we've you know, as a company that started in 2014, I would say that we are um, and have a relatively lean engineering team. Uh, we've been making a lot of what I would call just kind of platform stability uh, improvements. Um, and prior to us launching in new markets, we wanted uh, the ease delivery experience to really mimic. What, what are truly best in class, you know, people like DoorDash, New Breeds. Um, so one of the big initiatives on our roadmap this year is uh, releasing actually scheduled delivery. So uh, typically when you go to ease.com right now, your only option is to get uh, your delivery in 90 minutes or less. Um, so you're ordering on demand. This year we'll be actually allowing you to say, you know, if you're ordering at 8 a.m., oh, I want to deliver between 5 and 6 p.m. We'll be enabling that as well as enabling pickup uh, at our locations. Um, so we've been able, we wanted to get uh, that foundation built uh, prior to taking it to new markets. Um, when you look at a market like Colorado, um, you know, it's a very big retail business, but basically delivery is non-existent. It's been allowed for about a year and a half, but nobody has kind of taken that opportunity to to launch delivery. And that gets back to, you know, it does, it is expensive to uh, try and stand up a delivery network. And so we have a advantage in that we have very profitable stores, we have statewide coverage, uh, and so we can certainly do it, but we don't feel like we are losing the opportunity. I mean, same thing in Florida, we don't feel like we're losing the opportunity. So we want to get all of our platform solidified uh, before we take a very complete, robust offering uh, into new markets. And that's what our um, target for 2024 is, is kind of complete the foundation. uh, And then hopefully as capital markets open up later in the year with Schedule 3, uh, coming through, uh, and then we'll be able to raise additional capital and go and launch uh, delivering those new markets. Okay, great, great. That that makes uh, that makes sense. Sounds good. Okay, let me just take a segue. Uh, we're getting you know we're wrap up shortly, but I, I just want to you know uh, segue a little bit away from just talking about the business and really talking a little bit about success and failure because obviously you've had a journey uh, starting out in accounting and you know now being the CEO of Ease. And obviously, there's been a journey to get where you're at. Um, can you talk about some of you know the failures, if you will? What's been your biggest failure in business, um, and what lessons did you take away from that experience or those experiences to become a better manager and leader? Especially in the cannabis industry, I'd like to say I kind of failed for. So in you know the middle of 2017, uh, you know the, that was six months pre-legalization in California company I joined, you know, probably had the, you know, maybe the right high level thesis in that, uh, you know, ultimately brands are going to be important in cannabis and, and specifically product brands are going to be important in cannabis, but was a bit early. Uh, the company scaled very quickly. So we went from, you know, three of us around a table to 425 people and, you know, publicly listed, but it also kind of burned hot and burned bright. Uh, and our, our uh, CEO at the time made some you know, poor strategic decisions and ultimately, when capital markets changed very quickly towards the end of 2018 and into 2019, you know, after being a public company for one quarter and reporting, you know, 30 million dollars in revenue, you know, six months later the company was in basically bankruptcy. Uh, at which point, I uh, became the CEO. Like I said, ultimately sold it to Ease. Uh, and so I think the 
lessons there are, you know, first of all, first and foremost, don't be afraid to to take risks in new industries. I think a lot of people uh, worry about, you know, career risk. Uh, in my career, every time I've taken a risk, you know, even if it was a failure, like I said, I was always able to kind of fail forward and fail into a bigger opportunity. And so as long as you are kind of honest and laid with integrity, I think that there's, you know, whether things turn out well or things tor- turn out poorly, it'll always open new doors and new opportunities for you. So I think just purely from a career risk perspective, don't be afraid, afraid to take them. The more you can lean into those opportunities, uh, the more doors will open for you. Uh, and specifically in in that instance, I think, yeah, you, you just learn that even when things are going wrong, it, what matters is just how you, how you communicate with people, how you uh, lead with integrity in, in both good times and bad. Uh, and ultimately, you know, that, that will come back and pay dividends uh, in a meaningful way. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better. And I think a lot of the youth out there, you know, getting out there in, in the world today need to understand that, you know, failure is okay. You know, failure can make you a stronger leader, CEO, manager. You learn from your failure. And some of the, you know, most successful CEOs out there, leaders of industry, athletes, have all had failure, you know, in their life, you know, getting to where they're at. And I think it's not discussed enough, you know, and youth today, they don't understand that. And they're fearful to, to try things, you know, to a degree, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, and my next question, and you know, before we wrap up, uh, so you, you've talked about the failure that you've had and what you've learned from that. Would you attribute your success, you know, more related to luck or timing or experience or, 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 or a combination of, of all three? I don't want to answer the question, but, you know, the success that you've had from starting your days in, in you know, accounting to where you're at, um, how much would you say that's, you know, timing, skill, and luck? I would say that... Um it's certainly a combination of all three. I think you, uh, first of all, early in your career, I think you have to put it in the work to to get a, a solid uh, foundational understanding of how businesses operate, um, of how how the world truly works. That's what I would credit. You know, things like accounting and finance, uh, which just gave you gave me personally a very good uh, sense of how businesses operate, um, and gave a a very broad understanding of lots of different industries. Uh, and then as uh, you have that foundation, I think both timing and luck uh, start to come into play. You kind of have to put yourself uh, in the position to get lucky. Um, but uh, as long as you're able to put yourself in the position to, to get lucky, you then have to recognize when you know the, the time to make a big career move or um, the time to be successful kind of presents itself. And, and then you have to kind of, you know, actually take, Take advantage of that opportunity uh, because of the the skill set and, and knowledge base you've built. So, uh, I would say you know early in the career is definitely you know build the skill sets uh, and then understanding timing and luck as you get more established and more experienced to be able to strike at the right opportunities. Okay, great, great. And my last question, um, given that we're talking about those these two components, favorite book, the last book that you've read whether it's on business, you know, or, or pleasure, but given that we're talking about success and failure, what's one of your favorite, you know, business books that, you know, if so we have some young listeners out there that they can, you know, go, you know, order that and, you know, go out to the, the bookstore if they still have them and, and pick it up. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, I'll give two books. High Output Management by uh, Andy Grove. You know, very good uh, tactical uh, former, in, former Intel CEO. Correct. Yeah, it's a very good tactical book about how to run a business and you know what's important. And then the second book I would say is uh, the new new thing by Michael Lewis, um, which is uh, about actually our largest investor. So uh, kind of fun on a personal level, getting to know him over the past several years. Um, it's a, the book about Jim Clark uh, and his business ventures and early business ventures. Uh, it's fun to read about uh, somebody who we've grown to know quite well and, and certainly admire. And he's got a pretty interesting story and, and backstory. So I might have to go out and get that after we get off the today's uh, podcast. Sounds interesting. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Well, this has been great, Corey. I, I really appreciate your time today. I've learned a lot. And I know when uh, our listeners have an opportunity to listen in to today's podcast, they're going to learn a lot. What you know, Any listener wants to get in contact, learn more about Ease, uh, Green Dragon, what's the best way to learn more about the company or, or be in contact with you? We're happy to feel free to email me or find me on LinkedIn or, or Twitter. But my email is uh, my first name, Corey at ease.com. So. Okay, terrific. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening to the Freedom to Buy podcast this week uh, presented by Supernet. You can learn more about our payment network by visiting our website at supernet.ai. You can also listen to past episodes of Freedom to Buy on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And please join us uh, next week to learn more about uh, your freedom to buy. Thank you and have a great day.